So um, I, I will confess I'm a little bit scatterbrained just because of a lot of things that happened, but I trust Jesus. I trust the Lord to bring his word today. And I'm kind of excited because as I said, when you put a year and a half into something and it's like you're at the end, which is also kind of a beginning, as we're going to see, it's like, yay. But it's also like I was expecting yay to be at five o'clock, not at 10 o'clock. So breathe a little bit. Um, But God is faithful. And his word is always true. I just, every time I stand up here and bring the word, I claim Isaiah 55. God's word does not return to him void, but it accomplishes and what he sends it to do. It prospers where he sends it. And I just, you know, I've, I've heard people say, well, I went to that church that morning and I didn't get anything from it. And my attitude is always, did they, did they say at least one verse of scripture? If they said even one verse of scripture, then you got something out of it, whether you think you did or not. All right? Because his word is like the rain and the snow that comes down from heaven and waters the earth and makes it to bring forth in bud. So these seeds of the word of God that I'm going to share with you today, even if you haven't heard my year and a half worth of sermons, I know that God's word doesn't return to him void. I also know, and and I think we ministers know every time we get up, you've got people who are brand new in the faith, and you've got people who've spent their entire lives reading the Word of God, and they know it backwards and forwards, right? And so it's like, I've been sharing to a young congregation on Sunday nights. Y'all are a little more mature congregation. You may know some of this, but bear with me, because we're going to put some pieces of the Word of God together. We're going to notice a couple of overarching patterns in the Word. And I'm excited about this. When I was a kid, my, I, I went to a Christian school. I went here to the Christian school. And we frequently went to an event, I think we did about once a year during my elementary years, called Walk Through the Bible. And I wish Ben Navalano was here at this moment because he and I would always, we talk about this all the time, but I think, Adam, you probably did it. Mary and Dave, did y'all do it? Anybody else do the Walk Through the Bible? Okay. Oh, yes, of course. My teachers all did it. Very good. All right. So we, it was like you went through this like all, it was just one day, right, Aunt Fran? One day seminar, and you would hear the entire story of the, of the Bible from start to finish. And, and they would teach you um, hand motions, and, and they would do these periods of review where you would go through and you would um, review with the hand motions, right? And I was, like, reviewing them in my mind this morning, and I could get kind of far. So there's creation, fall, flood, nations, 4,000 years, Ur. Wait, what comes after Ur? Okay, I can't get very far. I got through part of Genesis. Abraham, not yet. It's Tigris and Euphrates before Terah dies. Oh, well. Anyway, it was like this. You could march through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation with these hand motions. And it was just really fun. Um, so I, I kind of want to walk through the Bible this morning with you all. We won't do hand motions. I mean, we could if y'all want, but no. They were helpful. They were helpful. But we're going to look at the covenant story of Scripture. The covenant story of Scripture. This is what I've been talking about through um, in this in the Sunday evenings. We started in Abraham with Abraham in Genesis. I I didn't go all the way back to Noah, but we did start with Abraham, and we began to look at the covenants that God makes with His people throughout Scripture. So again, for some of you, this is going to be review, but let's just bear with me and put the pieces together. So in the, in the first covenant with Noah, it was the covenant that I won't destroy the world again. I won't destroy people again. I'm going to let you live your lives, right? But then we picked up way back in like May of 2018. We picked up in Genesis with Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with Abraham. And you can find this in the latter chapters of Genesis. Um, well, Genesis uh, 12 to 17 and in, verse, in chapter 18 as well. 
So what happens is God meets Abraham several times in person, face to face, and he makes covenants with Abraham. He says, you are going to be a great nation, right? Abraham had no children. We know that at this time. He says, look around. What do you see? He was, Abraham was nomadic at the time. He didn't have a home, but God says, look around at at where you are. All of this land will be yours one day, meaning it would be to Abraham's descendants, right? He says, I'm going to bless all nations concerning you. And these are covenants that God makes with Abraham, and Abraham doesn't have to do anything on his end to to keep to get the blessings of these covenants, right? God just says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this promised land. I'm going to bless all of the world through you. And there ain't nothing you have to do except one thing, right? And then he gives him the covenant of circumcision. And in the covenant of circumcision, it's representative. It's symbolic of the cutting away of the flesh. You're going to have to die to yourself, Abraham. You're going to have to not serve yourself any longer. You're going to have to serve me all the days of your life. You're going to have to do what I say. This is the Abrahamic covenant, right? It's continued with Abraham's son, Isaac. And Isaac is a recipient of the blessing. And he is a continuation of the covenant. In fact, there is a situation in which Abraham actually is asked to give Isaac up as a sacrifice, an actual physical sacrifice to the Lord, right? Does Abraham keep his end of the covenant? He certainly does. He is willing to sacrifice his son. And because he is willing to sacrifice his son, God does not require Isaac of Abraham. He gives him back to him, and he allows the covenant to continue through Isaac. Isaac has his son Jacob, and Jacob, again, despite all of his um, energies to the contrary, right, because Jacob is not a really great guy, but Jacob manages to, to maintain his relationship with the Lord and continue the covenant to the point where he has 12 sons, and of these 12 sons, out of these 12 sons, become the nation with, through which God is going to bless the entire world. Right? Are we going to get, we're, we're doing right. All right here, right? So, uh, two, in, my, in the sermons, and you could go back and watch them. If you're, if you're curious to, to go back and see them, they're all on our website. But we, the next thing we talked about was two of Jacob's sons. We talked about Judah, and we talked about Joseph. Now, Judah means praise and is the son through which um, Jacob actually prophesies over Judah and prophesies in Genesis 49. I'm going to read it to you. I didn't give this verse to Rakesh, but in Genesis 49, Jacob prophesies over Judah that it's through him that the blessing is going to come to the nations. He says this, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of people be. Binding his foal unto the vine, his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. Ah, Rakesh is so good. He got those verses up there. Good job, Rakesh. So who is, who is Jacob prophesying to Judah? It's Jesus, right? He's saying, you're going to get Jesus. You're going to get the Messiah, right? Judah doesn't know this. He has no idea. None of them do, but we know it, right? So the other son that we talked about a lot was Joseph. Joseph is the provision for the covenant because what happens is they get to the point where Israel... That's Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. And where Israel's family is about at the point of extinction, right? They are in famine. 
they're going to die, except that they need a savior. And their brother Joseph had gone before them and prepared a way for them to be saved. Are y'all seeing a pattern here? Okay, very good. So they go into Egypt to Joseph, and Joseph provides for his family, and Joseph saves his family. And then they get established in Egypt for several hundred years. But then, as we know the story goes, Pharaoh, you know, turns on Israel, turns on on Joseph's family, puts them into slavery. And again, they need a savior. And Moses is raised up from the people of Israel to lead his people out of slavery, out of a strange foreign nation, into finally into the promised land that was told to Abraham all those hundreds of years before. Right? Moses, as he's as he's as he delivers them, we know the story, right? They rebel against Moses. They rebel against the Lord. The people do. They make for themselves a golden calf. And the Lord says, all right. Well, the final sin is that they refuse to go in and claim the land that God has promised for them, right? So for 40 years, they have to wander in the wilderness. And Moses is leading them. But some great things happen in the wilderness, whether we like to admit it or not, right? And in the wilderness, among other things, God makes another covenant with Moses. He, he makes the Mosaic covenant with the people of Israel. And again, it's this, I will be your God and you will be my people. I've set you apart for this, for this time, for this place, for the future of the world. And it's interesting because... There are so many things in the Mosaic Covenant that we could talk about, but one of the greatest gifts that God gives to the people of Israel through Moses is the law, right? I don't think that we necessarily, I think we live in this kind of um, new covenant world where the law is a bad thing. Anybody with me on that one? Where it's like we've kind of been raised to think, oh, that was for then. They weren't allowed to eat pork They weren't allowed to wear clothes that were made with more than one material. If they had mildew in their house, they had to burn it down. So we had this attitude that the law was somehow bad. But the law at the time that it was given to the people was for their provision. It was for their salvation, right? If they kept in they kept the terms of the covenant they kept the terms of the law that would keep them in right standing with the with the lord and it made for them a kingdom god says to moses i'm going to make a kingdom of priests and a holy nation for me and every single law of the 613 laws that you can find in the first five books of the Old Testament, every one of them has to do with our holiness, with our purity, with our sanctification before the Lord. We don't see it because we don't recognize it in the culture. But everything from, you know, the mildew in the house to the sores on your body to the mixed materials in your clothes was for the sanctification of the person, was for the purity. It, it's symbolic of, of being pure before the Lord because that was his provision for them through Moses, through the Mosaic Covenant. So Moses introduces this to them. And in Deuteronomy, so we've been talking about this for a long time, and I always, always, always bring up the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, yes. When he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Press, impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. So, I mean, if you think about it, you're writing this. If it, oh, this reminds me of Aunt Fran, too. I love my Aunt Fran very much. I relate to her very much. She, she can potentially be forgetful, 
Just a little bit. I am very forgetful. She is a little bit forgetful. Um, Chris forgot Elizabeth yesterday. Oh, well, see. Does that make you feel better? It, way better, actually. It feel better. Yes. So, <laughs> so she would. She very often puts. Would, when I was in high school, she would pin something to her shirt that says, if you can read this, remind me I need to pick up cat litter on the way home. <laughs> and, like, everywhere she'd go, she'd see, you know, pick up, people would say, pick up the cat litter, right? That's what I think of when I think of writing it on your forehead, right? It's like I'm writing it where I can see it myself when I look in the mirror. I'm writing it where when you see me, you're reminding me, right? That's what we're doing. We're writing it on the door door frames of our house, right? When we walk into the door of our house, we're proclaiming, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. We would do well to put it on our bathroom mirror. We would do well to put this on our, you know, when, what is this called? In the car. A visor in the car. When you pull it down, you see it, right? Or to put it at, on your computer at work. Wherever it is that you frequent so that you can remember. So when you see it, oh yes, I'm supposed to love the Lord thy, my God with all my heart, soul, and strength. Because, why? Because we forget. We forget. That is the terms of our covenant on our end. The Lord is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's what we're supposed to do to keep our end of the covenant. Now, as we walked through what happens after Moses, did the people remember? Did they actually love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and strength and serve him as one God? No. They forgot. They apparently didn't write it on their foreheads. And, you know, and the result was not good things. Now, the next step in our story is, is Joshua, who was finally able to take the people into the promised land. Finally. Think about this. We've gone through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've spent time in Egypt. We've gotten out of Egypt. We've been wandering for 40 years. And here we are finally in the promised land. And what is it that Joshua says as he's getting ready to go on and be with the Lord? He says to them, okay, guys, I did it. I brought you where God told me to bring you. He's in Shechem when he does this. And he brings them. He brings all the people to him. And he says, listen, God's told us we got to love him. God's told us we got to serve him. If you don't intend to keep that covenant, just go ahead and, and tell me right now and we'll forget the whole thing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And they all say, we'll serve the Lord too, right? It reminds me of all of those conferences I went to as a, as a high school kid. Right, where you go to these conferences or, or basic con or something, and it's like everybody's worshiping the Lord and everybody's so excited about God, and they can't wait to get back into their schools and in their churches so that they can share the gospel with everybody. And then they go to sleep and they wake up in the morning and they completely forgot everything that they learned over the weekend. Maybe not everything, but am I the only one who did that when I was in high school? Okay, that's why you got to go back again so you can remind yourself again. But the point is that. They didn't remember what Joshua said. They didn't remember the covenant through Moses. And they enter into a time of judges. And because the the book of Judges at the end says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And they enter into this time where they are not, that they just completely forget their covenant with the Lord. And as a consequence, the Lord allows them to be attacked all over the place. And he raises up what they call judges. And the judge's job is to remind the people, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. He is the only God. And they do so with varying degrees of um, success. But we talked in my sermons about Gideon and Jephthah and Samson and some of the other judges. Samuel is the final judge. We talked about him at length. Because Samuel is like, I'm trying, God, but they're not listening. And God says, you know what? They're not listening because they're stiff-necked. They've already decided not to do what I wanted them to do. So we're going to go ahead and give them what they've asked for. We're going to give them a king. And he gives them King Saul, and Samuel is the one who chooses King Saul. And 
um, as we, we talked at length about the fact that Saul was this, you know, he was tall and he was handsome and he was wealthy and he's from this great family and he's everything that a good leader should be. And everybody's really excited about Saul until they find out that uh, he doesn't love the Lord with all his heart, soul, and strength. In fact, he loves himself a lot more. And God leaves Saul and he goes and finds the one person who, can, who does love him with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, and who does serve him as the one true God. And he finds a little shepherd boy named David, and he raises this little shepherd boy, and he elevates him to a position of exaltation, and he chooses him. And when, he, when God chooses, chooses David to be king, he says to Samuel, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Because he's looking at our hearts. He's looking at our hearts to see whether or not we are truly going to love him with that heart. Right? So he leaves the house of Saul. He chooses the house of David. We talked about David for quite a while and some of the struggles that he had because David is not perfect. David is far from perfect. But what does David have going for him? Heart after God. God. Guys, that is so redeeming for me. I don't know about you. I make a lot of mistakes. But my heart is for God. My heart is to love him. My heart is to serve him and to elevate him above all else. And sometimes I forget and I go and serve an idol Sometimes I forget and I go and serve my own desires, but always there's this returning. And I praise God that we have the example of King David, who is shown that every time he kind of misses it a little bit, God just says, hey, come on back, come on back. And how does God do that frequently? He does it through his word and he does it through his prophets. We enter in, as the, at the time of the kings, we also enter into a time of the prophets. And the prophets are constantly there saying, Hey guys, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. Constantly reminding the people. And the, the point is, come back to the word. Come back to the law. Come back to your place of salvation. And they, again, it's like a roller coaster, right? Sometimes they're okay and sometimes not so much. And sometimes they're okay and sometimes not so much. So we chronicled after that King Solomon, who starts with King Solomon being David's son, right? Starts off really great and then he kind of tanks. And he ends up, and his biggest, um, one of, well, he does a lot that he's not supposed to do, but. He he ends up, for political purposes, marrying 300 women and having 700 concubines who take his heart from serving the Lord and and take his heart to serve other gods. And Solomon ends up losing, you know, 80% of the kingdom when 10 of the 12 tribes desert him and, and declare a new king. But, and I, back to David and... The, the third covenant that we're going to talk about is the Davidic covenant. When David, because he had served the Lord with all of his heart, God says to him, listen, because of what you've done, because of how you've loved me, I make a covenant with you that there will always be one of your descendants on the throne. Always. And this covenant is kept first with Solomon and then with Solomon's sons and the sons after them. But as we chronicled a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the kings of Israel never, ever follow the Lord. Not a single one of them. There's like 20 of them. They don't follow the Lord at all. They completely leave and follow, follow other gods. And they get taken by Assyria and carried off into exile before too long. David's descendants, there's some good, some bad, most bad, but some good. 
And we talked about a couple of them, specifically Jehoshaphat, and we ended with Josiah, who was one of the final kings of Judah. And there's this moment with Josiah when he, um, he's come to the throne at eight years old. They, there's no, nobody is preaching the word of God at this point. There's, um, uh, there's altars set up to other gods all over the place. The temple of the Lord had been defiled. There were, there were false gods set up in the temple of God when Josiah becomes king. And Josiah, at eight years old, decides that he has a heart after the Lord. He wants to love the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, even though he really has no understanding of what that is. And at 18 years old, by the time he's 18 years old, he has commissioned the, um, a group of people to restore the temple. And as they're restoring the temple, they come across the Torah. And they're like, what is this? So they take it to him, and he reads it. And we had a long discussion about this at Anchor a couple weeks ago, that he reads it, and his response is, oh boy, we're in big trouble. And he falls on his knees before the Lord. He tears his clothes. He repents. He fasts. He seeks after the Lord. He seeks his priests. They all read the word of God. They read it to all of the people. Everybody's response is, whoa, we're in big trouble. You know, it's like we didn't even know we were doing wrong. And now that we know, and God says, yeah, and by the way, I'm sending the Babylonians to take you into exile. Because it's too late. You haven't been listening for too long. And God um, allows the Babylonians to come and carry the people of Judah off into exile. But before that happens, Josiah says, all right. I know this is going to happen, but it doesn't matter. I'm serving the Lord with everything I've got in me, and I'm requiring all the people to do it with me. He takes down all the altars to the other gods. He, he restores the temple. He brings reform into Judah. And it's, it's too late. Babylon comes in, carry the people off, and they spend some time in exile in Babylon. Along come the Medes and the Persians. They kind of take over from Babylon. We're still in exile. But then the Medes and the Persians decide that, okay, it's Cyrus the Great says, it's time for um, the Jewish people to return to their homeland if they want. And we're going to make provisions for you to go back, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, and to serve your God the way that you want to. And we've talked last week extensively about Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra the scribe, Nehemiah the governor, who comes back and rebuilds both the temple and the walls of Jerusalem for a period of about 100 years. And, uh, and, and you know, we're set up. What is, the, what is the end of the Old Testament walk through the Bible? 400 years silence. Christ. That's the, the end of the Old Testament. So we've finished with Ezra and Nehemiah. They've built up the walls. They've built, rebuilt the temple. They, there's this scene where Nehemiah gathers all of the people together, and Ezra stands before them, and he reads from the Word of God. He reads from the Torah. And it says that he reads for a quarter of a day. And the people are there in silence, listening to him read for a quarter of the day. So for six hours, and I had made the comment last week, can you imagine like, if, if we said, okay, guys, come to a special service at Community Gospel Church. We're going to read from the Torah for six hours. <laughs> How many of you would be like, sign me up. I am there for that one. Maybe not. And then for the next six hours, their reaction to the reading of the Torah... They're sobbing, they're crying, they're repenting, they're crying out to the Lord. This is what happens when Ezra brings the word to people who've not heard it, right? It's repentance. And during the time of the, during this month, they actually celebrate several feasts too, because that's the other reaction to the word of God, right? Rejoicing. Look, he brought us out of Egypt. Look, he brought us through the Red Sea. He brought us into promised land. It's this time of, there's so much good stuff here, guys, that they had forgotten. They had forgotten 
under the kings they had forgotten at their time in exile. They didn't remember. So for a year and a half, we've just been walking through and talking through this. And, you know, I said to them last week, and I tried to do this every week. I don't know how successful I was, but always, always, always. It wasn't just, here, here's this really nice story. You want to hear a really cool story? Let's talk about how Jehoshaphat, instead of fighting the armies of the Midianites, he actually just sent out the praise band. We think, Abs, shall we lead out a team of dancers to fight an army? And it happened. Like, they kill each other. They kill themselves. And Jehoshaphat and his army don't have to do anything. Or when Gideon... Oh, my, I remember hearing the story as a kid about Gideon with the, you know, the, the light in the pot and he breaks the pot and they scream and the lights go and they've got like 300 guys and an army of thousands are destroyed by these 300 guys. They don't even do anything. They just collect the plunder and go home. Like, these are great stories, right? But is that all they are? Does the covenant end in the 400 years of silence? And it's over. No. And we chronicled as we went along how every one of these stories, every single narrative points to the fulfillment of that covenant, to the fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. It's 400 years of silence, and then Jesus comes into that world. And just kind of walking back through In Abraham, we see Jesus. We see Jesus when he receives the covenant where he's going to be the one who blesses all the nations. Well, who fulfills that through Abraham? Jesus does when he dies on the cross and he blesses all the nations. We see it when Abraham offers Isaac. He, He actually takes Isaac up. And one of the things I found in my research, I always imagined Isaac being this kid, who doesn't know better, right? So I, I imagine this three-year-old, five-year-old kid who his dad's taking up and he's getting him ready and he ties him up and he puts the wood on him and he gets ready to sacrifice him. But no, it's likely that, Joseph, that Isaac was in his late teens or early 20s when that happened. He was very aware of what his dad was doing. He carried the wood himself for, his, for himself to be sacrificed. He allowed his father to put him on that altar and to surround him with wood. And God says, no, you did not withhold your son from me. I will not require him of you. I will give him back to you. Who are we talking about here, people? We're talking about Jesus who carried his own wood for his sacrifice, right? We look at Jacob, and it's so hard to see God, to see Jesus in Jacob, right? But there's this moment when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord, right? And I think about Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's wrestling with the Lord, saying, please don't make me do this, you know? But there are those moments in our lives when we wrestle with the Lord and we get to look at Jesus and say, he did it too, right? We look at Joseph and the fact that he went, he was sold into slavery, and he was in Egypt. It wasn't good for him for a long time until it was really good because the Lord elevated him to a place of of exaltation. The Lord elevated him to a place of reigning for the purpose of redeeming an entire family and an entire future of a, for a nation. This is Jesus. We see Jesus in Moses who goes out and proclaims, let my people go to Pharaoh. And I think of Jesus to Satan, you will let my people go. And he takes them through the Red Sea from one side of where there's Danger, And he leads them to the other side of safety. And he follows the Lord. He follows that pillar of of fire by night and the cloud of smoke by day, right? And Jesus was so, so very in tune with everything that the Father did. He knew he, he spent time with him. He followed him. Jesus didn't do anything but what the Father told him to do. 
right? And Moses didn't either. He took the people where the Lord told him to take them. I think of Joshua going in and destroying the Canaanites, right? And just completely making a way for his people to be brought into the promised land. That salvation came when Jesus died. And he you know, spoiled principalities and powers, and he brought us into our promised land. I think of David when he's before the Lord singing and praising. When he is out in the fields as a shepherd boy. Um, uh, that's, you know, that's just living his life, doing his job, you know, taking care of the sheep. And God goes and finds him there, and he pulls him in, and he takes this little boy, and he, again, he gives him this great name. He gives him this great title, right? And in Philippians 2, it says that God gave Jesus a name that is above every other name. He elevates this carpenter from Nazareth to a place of high exaltation, just like he elevated a little shepherd boy, right? I think of the ta- those kings like Josiah, you know, who are, serve as prophets for the people to say, hey, stop that. Don't do that. You don't, you don't want to go there. It's bad. Stop worshiping that God. And that's what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he proclaimed the kingdom of God to every person he talked to, right? Don't go there. Don't do that. And then in Ezra and Nehemiah, when they bring the exiled people of Israel back home. And I think of Jesus coming one day to return and take us back home. Right? It's like this narrative. It's it's like God, it's as if God planned it. Right? Oh, thank you. Yes, he did. He did. He planned it. From the beginning, every one of these people, every one of these events points to a future Savior, points to the covenant being fulfilled. And I think that that's, again, getting back to the fact that we have this tendency to think that the law is bad, right? And that Jesus came and abolished the law. I've heard Christians say that. Jesus came and he did away with the law. No, he didn't. In Matthew 5, he says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. And I tell you this, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill the law. We call it the new covenant. And maybe that's a great word for it, right? We call it the new testament, the new covenant. It's a new story. But it's not. That's not the perfect phrase, I don't think. Maybe renew is good. I don't know. But it's just more of like, I I think fulfilled covenant is what I like to use. Right? We live in the time of the fulfilled covenant. Where God fulfilled through Jesus Christ everything that he had been planning for 4,000 years of, of his creation. So that he could bring us into this time where we, live, we walk in newness of life and we walk in his fulfillment. Now, one of the things that I, I want to explore in the coming months as we continue at Anchor is the fact that he didn't just, Jesus didn't just come and make it easier for us. I think we, again, I think because we get so stuck on, well, I can eat pork now, right? Um, I, I, I can wear, I don't even know what this is, you know, rayon and polyester blends or whatever. So we, we get stuck on, Jesus made it easier. He made it easier to access the presence of the Lord, right? We don't have to have a mediate, an earthly mediator. We have a heavenly mediator. He made it easier for us. But the reality is, he didn't. He didn't make it easier for us. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and he says, hey, y'all have heard that in the law it says you shouldn't do this. Well, let me just tell you, not only should you not do that, but I'm going to add to it you shouldn't do this either. You've heard that it says that they say, don't murder. 
Yeah, because murdering is bad. We know that, right? But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you've already murdered him. You've heard them say, don't commit adultery. I say, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery with her. Jesus doesn't leave us in, like his fulfillment of the covenant doesn't mean that we don't have to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And that we don't have to acknowledge him as the one Lord. In fact, in Matthew 7, is that what it is? While I look. Matthew 5. Nope, that was the other one. Matthew 22. There it is. Matthew 22, verse 35. This is when uh, there's a, a lawyer who comes up. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid. I was going to be. Me and my friend Dan. We were going to be um, lawyers because we really liked to argue. And I think we assumed that arguing is what lawyers did best. And so we were like, yeah, we like to win. We like to prove our point. So we are gonna go, we're going to go in there into the court of law and we're going to show them what's what. So that was, good. that was my intention. Do you think that was Dan's intention too? He still loves to argue. He still loves to argue. So my son Ethan, where, where is Ethan? He should probably be a lawyer on the, in that thought. Okay, sorry, Bean. Um, <laughs> so this is a lawyer who kind of proves that that's what lawyers ought to do, right? Because he comes to Jesus with the intention of tripping him up, with the intention of catching him and being able to, to prove that he's not who he says he is, right? And in um, Matthew 22, we read, we read, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Great. Jesus does, when he's quoting Deuteronomy, instead of saying with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, he says with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Does that mean we shouldn't love him with, his, with our strength? No. We're just adding the mind to it, okay? All right? So this is what Jesus says. What's the greatest commandment? The Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Great. Is that where Jesus leaves it? No. In verse 39, it says, The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Again, the fulfillment of the covenant does not leave us in... It's easy now. Guys, which is harder? To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength? Or to love your neighbor as yourself? I, I love you all. I find it much easier to love Jesus than, it, than to love you most of the time. Amen. And I think you probably feel the same about me. Right? It is. Aw, my husband said no. But that's the reality, right? Jesus, in his fulfillment of the covenant, it's not any longer just about loving the Lord. It's about loving our neighbor as ourself. And this is the law and the prophets. And this is our new covenant. And I, I just think that this is, at least for me, this is what God's calling me to all the time. Love people. Love people like you love me. Right? Um... There is another overarching theme. There's a lot. We go through scriptures. You go through. There's patterns all over the place, right? There's themes in scripture all over the place. I don't believe that it is only, that it is enough to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Because I think this requires a great amount of faith to do. And I was reading quite a bit this week in Hebrews 11. 
Anybody know what Hebrews 11 is? The faith chapter, right? And I want to read it together and kind of notice. So we just walked through all of scripture. This is in one chapter, the writer of Hebrews walking through the same scriptures we went through. So this is going to be review number two for the day. But let's read it together. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not, as, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself conceived, received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who, who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they say that such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city." By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and that had received, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall all thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By, th by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible." Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the, sp the spies for peace. And what shall I say? What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. What strikes me, and I think probably strikes most of you, First of all, as you read it, you just see Jesus through all those stories. In fact, I, I never noticed this before, so I'm, I'm kind of speaking off the cuff here, but I just read when it says that Moses was, it says that um, he esteemed the, pro, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. That's unbelievable because there was no Christ. Moses didn't know Jesus. But he knew. He had the promise of Jesus in his heart. He had the promise of Jesus. He knew that it was coming, and he believed it. Even though it's not going to come for several thousand years. That's kind of unbelievable to me. All of these men and women that we've talked about for the last bit of time, every single one of them failed to see the promise. Some of them may have received some of the promise, like Joshua, right, when he comes into the promised land, or David when he received the promise of his own kingdom and passes it on to his son Solomon. But so many of them, they don't get to see the results of the covenant, the fulfillment of the covenant. None of them do, right? They all live, it says in First Peter, as strangers in a foreign land, right? Some of them literally in the case of, of Abraham, he, ne- he lived in this land. He could look around and say, one day this will be mine. It never was his. Right? Isaac lived in the same land, knowing one day it would be his. It doesn't become his. Jacob does not become his. You have to get all the way to several hundred years worth of descendants down the line before they actually receive the promised land. In fact, not only was Abraham, you know, a stranger in a foreign land, but sometimes he was really in a foreign land, right? Like when he has to go down into Egypt because of famine, when Isaac has to do the same. They lived these lives of not having a place to be to call home. They lived lives of never never actually fulfilling the promise. And yet, they believed it was coming. How do you believe your whole life for something? Die never having having experienced that promise and still that promise is true. That was true for him. It was true for David. It was promised to David that he would have a king on, that one of his descendants would always be king, right? He didn't see that fulfilled, and yet we know Jesus is the son of David. David also was a stranger in a foreign land. When he fled from Saul, right, or when he fled from his son Absalom, he actually had to travel to other countries and live in these other places outside of his promise. Trusting and believing that the Lord would bring him back into the promise. Right? When the children of Israel are taken off to Babylon, they had to trust that the Lord was going to keep his promise and bring them back. And all along, all of these men and women had to believe in the, the promise of a future Messiah, a future Savior, a future fulfillment of the covenant that not one of them would ever physically see or experience. And yet they did it. This is a little unbelievable to me. Because I live in in a world, and I live in a reality, where if I don't see the promise fulfilled in five minutes, I don't trust any longer it's actually going to happen. Am I the only one? Okay, thank you. And yet, 
The end of this chapter in Hebrews says, God having provided some better thing for us. This is incredible. We live in the, the time of the fulfilled covenant with the promise that he's coming back for us again to take us. And guys, I want, it, I want, to, I want us to think about this, and we're going to kind of close with this. Back to the moment when the lawyer is questioning Jesus, right? In Matthew. And he says, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. In, the Luke's, in Luke's accounting of this narrative, the, the lawyer goes on to say, well, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? I, you know, like, you know. What would you say if somebody asked who your neighbor? The first thing that comes to mind is, well, the person who lives next to you, right? Jesus never answers the question just straightforward. Well, rarely straightforward, right? And he he is you know, he does the same thing in this situation because his answer to the lawyer is a certain man went right, and he goes and tells him a story. What's the story? The story of the good Samaritan. Right? And what is the story of a Good Samaritan? It's about, it's about a faithful Israelite who was attacked by bad guys, and he's mugged, and he's injured, and a priest goes on one side, and one of the rulers walks on the other, and they ignore him, and along comes a foreigner. A foreigner. Somebody who was not considered as good as this Israelite, right? And he comes and he saves them and he nurtures them back to health. And Jesus says, who was the neighbor here? And everybody has to acknowledge, well, the Samaritan was the neighbor, right? And I, I say that to say, you know, there, we, we live in a time where, if, if I can be a little bit critical of today's generation, and I don't mean... What are we in? Generation Z or something? I don't mean that. I mean those of us who are alive today. We have this tendency to be very insular, to be very me-focused, to be very concerned with myself, right? And there is a whole world out there. I, I have a newsflash for you. Being American does not mean the same thing as being Christian, right? There is a whole world of neighbors out there. Those who are your actual neighbors, those who you work with, those who you, um, you know, do life with, but also those in our world who require us to bring to them the covenant, right? And if we look back at the pattern throughout the covenant making and the covenant keeping, and we see that this, they, uh, our forefathers and our foremothers were never quite accepted. They were never quite at home. They were never, they never had the fulfillment of their promise. Then we can look at the world around us and the people around us and say, you are just like our foremothers and our forefathers, right? And you are a stranger in a foreign land. And I have the answer. I have the fulfillment of the covenant that I can bring to you, that I can give to you. We need to we need to accept that the fulfillment of 4,000 years of, of Old Covenant, that the fulfillment includes love your neighbor as yourself, in addition to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Amen? Amen. I wanted um, to look at uh, Philippians 2 with all of this in mind. Philippians 2, verse 1. If there, there, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Does that sound like loving your neighbor as yourself? How do we do that? Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, a servant and was made in likeness of men. He came to a land that was not his. He left his home to sojourn with us, right? He left his earth, heavenly body to take on an earthly body. He made himself of no reputation. I read that already. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is the fulfillment of all the covenant, is it not? All of it. He, he makes himself of no reputation. He goes to a foreign country. He, he serves the people in that country. He becomes obedient to the Lord, even unto death. And then the Lord exalts him. There's David. There's Moses. There's Abraham. There's Joseph. There's all of it right there. And there is us if we will accept it because it starts with... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is supposed to be how we live the fulfilled covenant. 